and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation <laughs> Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Mahochko. Joining me are the two legends. The tripod is intact this week. On this side, we have our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston, and the man who needs no introduction whatsoever. He is Dr. Offense with a minor in defense and a solid number of credit hours and special teams. And that's Hoss Reuter. Gentlemen, uh, we're going old school, going old school because Restream is down. So we're not live this week. So we apologize first and foremost to everybody. Uh, uh, and we, we are sorry, too, because we love that fan interaction we've been enjoying all season long. But we're, we're, we're just zooming it up on a Thursday night, guys. We'd be even more old school if we were doing this on Skype without any video whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, that, that'd be really old school. Let's not let's not go back to the Stone Ages, Hoss. Uh, oh, God, John doesn't want to revisit those years. Hey, John, um, what was it like hunting woolly mammoths before the harsh harshness of winter <laughs> set in? You know what? You know what? You didn't have bed people fucking people on social media bitching about every time you missed. <laughs> You know, uh, you, you're stabbing, you're throwing spears, you're throwing rocks, you're doing all this shit. Lenny gets stomped into the ground. Nobody was there videotaping that shit and putting it on social media. <laughs> Today is much more hard. Right I, on, man. John, I would love on, on like the next day after a, a Husker win, which could be this Sunday, folks. Uh, I would love for you to relive one of those uh, glory Neanderthal days via Twitter. And just like walk us through, uh, woke yeah. up, grunt, hit wife with club, <laughs> fire out. <laughs> but let's, I hey. think, I think I would wake up first of all, and I journal my previous day on the wall of the cave. Oh, so you're the reason why the caves of Altamira are what they are, huh? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I Very I mean, nice artwork, by the way. <laughs> Now my hands are all shaking. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you definitely uh, peaked in the uh, Mesozoic era. <laughs> so. Were you the Paleolithic Bob Ross? <laughs> all these terms. I was, uh, you know what? Uh, I still do cave drawings, but they just look like uh, a guy that was hunting mammoths addicted to crack. You know, <laughs> <laughs> shaking all over the place and shit like that. Oh, my God. Let's get what to it. Doing? Like, yeah. We had the football. We football. had football on a Friday night as uh, the Huskers were in Piscataway uh, last Friday to take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And as Haas was so kind to remind us, it was the last time they won a Big Ten game on the road. It was two years ago with empty stadiums. We all remember that fun feeling. Uh, but let's also give credit where credit is due. And Nebraska was like, hey, we want to play football. And so we did. That's true. To empty That's stadiums true. with piped in crowd noise and uh coaches wearing masks on the sideline. It was just an odd time. And we odd still time. lost we a lot of games. Time. Yeah, we still lost five games, you know, got stomped by Ohio State and lost Northwestern. Yeah, I don't need to recap. Yeah, no, I don't no. need to recap yeah, that. No. You know what? Because we're in a new era now. We're new in a new era. era. We are, we're in a we new are, era. you know, it's 2022 AF. 2022 after frost. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about it because, uh, boy, that first half was bowling shoe ugly. And yeah. Casey Thompson uh, is is getting beat up as, as much as Adrian Martinez was, if not more, um, because Martinez – and maybe it's a scheme scheme thing. Maybe it's a play call thing, but, or maybe it's a, I don't want to say trust. Cause I think that Mickey Joseph, I think Mark Whipple trust Casey Thompson, but Adrian Martinez got out and ran quite a bit more than, than Casey's doing, but his offensive line is doing that man. No favors Hoss as our, as our go-to uh, offensive line. Um, I don't want to say uh, guru or, or judge, Consulting. but thank you. Thank you. Aside from, you know, the answer being everything and everyone, what is going on? What is the problem up front? Uh, well, it's there. There's a few problems. One, we're poor. We are poorly coached, and you can see that with identifying fronts and stunts pre-snap, like Bryce Benhart against Oklahoma, kind of getting deked by them overloading him to one side. Second of all, we've recruited poorly at that position and this is gonna not make sense at first hopefully it makes sense by the time i get done describing it we've recruited on paper very talented guys you know turner corcoran might be one of the most talented guys nebraska's ever signed as a recruit but the problem is that we sign guys who don't fit into specific positions that they're playing in right now Turner Corcoran, we've learned when like Teddy Prohaska is healthy, is a guard, and he's a very good guard at that. And then when you have to slide him out to tackle, it's evident that he's not cut out for that. Bryce Benhart is not an offensive tackle. Um, functionally, he just doesn't really move around like you would expect an offensive tackle to in space, gaining depth, width and depth on the kick step. Um very, a lot of times it's just he drops straight back from his stance and it's easy for the defender to get around him. And then lastly, I think the play calling plays a little bit into it from the standpoint that we probably have the most boring, blandest offense, spread offense in college football. I mean, this is – if it were to be a food, it'd be – It'd be ham sandwich on Wonder Bread. Oscar Meyer ham on Wonder Bread sandwich. It's boring. It's bland. Yeah, what? That's a mighty fine sandwich, sir. How dare you? I did the Wonder Bread part. Come on. I mean, my God. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you. No, uh, uh, but to piggyback a question on top of that. Yeah. Did this offense not need to be a little bit simplified? Or, I mean, or, or or is or is a, a simplified offense different from a bland offense? No, very different, very different. Simple, you can be simple and you can still be effective, provided that you're well coached and you know you have guys in the right place and they're technically sound and you you know they're good athletes. But we're we can't be simple when we're not very dynamic up front. Okay, so like. The year that we switched from Tommy Armstrong to Tanner Lee at quarterback, they re- Langsdorf and that staff redesigned the offense. And we quickly learned, wow, like you can't be very austere in your running game if you aren't really strong up front. So like if you aren't strong up front, you need to run your quarterback because that evens things up. And we saw Adrian Martinez bail this out of a lot of jams 
the past few years. I mean, credit where credit is due. He bailed us out of a lot of problems. You know, he probably single-handedly kept us in that Michigan game last year. And so Bland is not synonymous with simple. But Bland is when you're not very good up front and you don't feel like you need to get creative in order to move the football. And again, like I disagree with a lot that Frost has said, but I agree 100% with him what he said after the game in Ireland where he said – you know, there are guys on the staff who are going to learn that you have to be a lot more creative on the offensive side of the football in this conference. That's the truth. John, uh, I have a question for you, and it's going to piggyback on Adrian Martinez. And I want folks to understand I'm not making comparisons, but using using the dynamic of when a head coach and a, and a quarterback depart, you know, split from one another – in a in a Belichick Brady situation, you can see, you know, was there one, you know, element of that that was carrying more weight than the other, you know, and and perhaps booing some of that success. I think you know probably when you look at New England now versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you'd almost say you know Tom Brady was that element. Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez was there one element that was dragging the other person down. And based on at least the small sample size of this season where, you know, we had Scott Frost as the coach, you would almost say that Adrian Martinez now has the ability to thrive a little bit more in an environment that does not include HCSF. Okay. Oh my God. What are you asking me? Was it Scott Frost or Adrian Martinez the problem? In, In a word. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to blame Scott Frost for everything. Honestly, I think he was so – I honestly, I, I'm not kidding. By the time he showed up for this fall, he was so checked out of what he was doing. Uh, they, it was they, almost like a Bo Pelini, like from that audio tape or whatever it was, or a press conference after the Iowa game in 13. If you want to fire me, go ahead and fire me. Yeah, I mean, that's basically was, what he was doing. I, I, I don't think there was anything. I think you could go back and look at this team in the first like two games of the season or three games of the season and realize that that was kind of, I don't know, like a psychotic, having a freaking psychotic father in charge of a family and the oldest fa- brother is holding it all together. Barely. And then and the oldest brother say- went off to fight the, fight the Rebs down in Dixieland and you know, <laughs> everything just fell apart. <laughs> I, I got, I got a, about the offensive line. I mean, when you look at this, I mean, we, we have, uh, we have Joey Mancino. We got Ezra Miller. What happened to Ezra Miller? Uh, uh, he has not played a snap, I believe, all year, unless I've right. missed it. Uh, uh, Noah Stafurski. What's he doing? Uh, Nura uh, didn't know he was on the team. Nura didn't know Ely. We know what happened to him. Because of steroids. Keegan Manning. Don't know. Brock Bando, Brent Banks. Brock Bando, he plays somewhat okay when he rotates in. About the only guy that I'm comfortable with on the offensive line saying they're actually doing an okay job would be Trent Hickson at center. Uh, Michael Lynn, sophomore out of Greenwood Village, Colorado. That is a guy on our roster. He is still on the team. (laughs) Eli Simonson. I mean, we have Hunter Anthony. You know, obviously we've seen Hunter Anthony is not that bad. 
I will say, I think that you're going to see him overtake Ben Hart as the year goes on. Uh, now, ideally, I think this offensive line is completely different if Teddy is healthy, meaning that you get to play Corcoran at, inside. Well, inside at guard. And then if Nuali wasn't suspended for steroids for a year, you put him at the other guard spot. Then you can work, you know, you decide what you want to do with Hunter Anthony or um, Ben Hart at right tackle, then Hickson holding down at center. Or you can, you know, you can put Latovsky at left guard and Corcoran at right tackle. Um, instead, like, we get dealt a pretty crappy hand right out of the gate back in April, right after spring football with the suspension, you know, year-long suspension for Nuali. And then top that off, you hired the offense assistant offensive line coach off the worst offensive line in football last year, and you think that's going to make a difference? Kevin Williams, I, I have on? tried to I have tried to support every hire that Nebraska's ever made. You know, assistants or head coaches. The Donovan Rail hire, I hated that from day one. I continue to hate it more and more. Yeah, it's, okay. Is, is it even going to? pay off in the way that they'd hoped by hiring him? No. Yeah. Because, you know, Margaritas and Scottsdale, Arizona, and, you know, not showing up to things, you know, Scott Frost, just piece all those things together and you can get a good idea. Okay. I I asked Matt Slauson about the line. I I, I said, uh, I concerned, you know, I asked him, what do you think about the offensive line is just terrible because they're bad players or bad coaching. And he responded, you know, it's a DM on Twitter. By the way, those guys, Matt Sloss and Danny Woodhead, had a really nice podcast. Yes, they do. <laughs> and you guys should go listen to it. Uh, what's the name of it? Come on. I'm just brain farting now. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank to you. I'm, I'm loaded full of a bunch Out of, of Nowhere. Medicine, so. Out of Nowhere is the name of the podcast. Okay. Matt Slauson replies, to me, it's a combination of both. I watched Greg Austin coach these guys the last couple of years, and he was coaching them correctly. But when game day came, they would freeze up and make mistakes everywhere. Well, that's a, so, that's a big thing. I was actually talking about that to someone earlier this week. I thought Greg Austin shouldn't have been fired last year. I thought that he was basically a patsy for Scott Frost because of how much Scott Frost would meddle in the offensive line, overruling Austin on technique, on scheme, on who's starting. So to hear Slauson say that, I'm very happy to hear that because, again, I don't think Greg Austin should have been fired. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's pretty obvious now. Yeah, and I think uh, I think a lot of the reason why his firing came was because he's one of the few people that would, uh, would disagree with uh, Scott. Yeah. Okay. When we look at the game against Rutgers, uh, something we've talked about in the last few games um, is overcoming adversity and that maybe the new mindset uh, for this ball club under Mickey Joseph, where they went into the locker room down 13 nothing, And I think a Nebraska team anytime in the previous four years would have been like, okay, well, it, it's time to, you know, phone it in or, you know, let's get Logan Smothers some more reps or, you know, something not to take anything away from Logan Smothers. I, that, that's not what I mean, but, you know, time to time to work in, you know, the, the backups because they lacked a little bit of that fight. And I, maybe I'm being over generous by saying they lacked a little bit, but they came out and 
you know, they, they took care of business. It, you know, not, not pretty, but I always say, you know, the, the, the only, the only stat that matters is the, is the scoreboard at the end of the game. And, and we had more than they had and we're still atop the, uh, rankings atop the big 10 West. So, you know, but let, you know, let's talk about with, without getting necessarily the specifics of, 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 you know, the win, but just the, the, maybe the evolution or, or the, the growth these guys have had mentally where they're not so frail, you know, when they get down. Yeah. Um, I think, First and foremost, that game, if that's Scott Frost and Eric Chenander presiding over the team, I think you're looking at something like a 27 to 10 loss, all told, you know, just not not answering the bell in the second half and fighting and clawing your way back in to win that game. Um, I think that there's a decidedly different attitude on this team that's from the culture, you know, fighting. And you hear Mickey Joseph in the videos that they release each week, you know, hunt or be hunted, you know, we're going to fucking hunt, you know, I think it's, uh, it's become pervasive throughout the entire program. And it's, it's refreshing to see that we went into a hostile stadium. I don't know how hostile it was because it wasn't an actual sellout. You can never, you'll never convince. It was still in New Jersey. (laughs) It was was the smell itself. The smell itself was probably hostile. It was their second consecutive sellout. Uh, and, and look, we know the sometimes yeah. sellouts are just yeah, they're artificial. Yeah, but um, you go into a hostile environment on a Friday night, and you find a way to steal a game, and that's one of the things that it was refreshing to see. Is like you see teams all throughout college football that they go on the road, they play poorly, but they make just enough plays to you know grab the W and head home. And I think that's a very underrated mindset in college football. You know, sometimes you just got to win ugly. You're not going to put up 45, 50 points every week. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to look polished in everything you do. But being able to go into somebody else's house and steal a win, that tells me that there's a culture of toughness there that's starting to develop. John? Well, I think that the biggest key to this is the defense. I mean, the I think that the change in the defense has been incredible where they just – I mean, you saw guys trot down the field against Oklahoma, and now you see Malcolm Hartzog, true freshman, who would have never seen the field before, you know, the other guy was fired. Well, we'd uh, probably still be two years away from seeing him on the field if Frost was still here. And he's he's become a star, like in two games. Yep, there was the... uh, You know, here's the thing about that. Early on in that Rutgers game, he got yanked because he got burned. Was that the Rutgers or that it was that... No, it was Rutgers, yeah, because he got that start in the... uh, Was it it the slot? uh, Nickel. Nickel. Yeah, he got burned and then he came back and he made up for it. And I, I think that's just amazing and pretty tremendous. And it gives you a lot of hope for maybe they can do some more stuff this season. Well, yeah, Mike, I don't go ahead. John. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, speaking of DBs, you also see, you know, Miles Farmer, who looked absolutely lost when Shenander was the DC, looking like he knows what he's doing playing that center, you know, single high safety, playing center field, so to speak, in a cover three scheme. You know, he looks like the player we thought he was going to be based off flashes from last year and in 2020. 
And then you're starting to see the biggest encouragement is like about Hartzog. You're seeing guys grow up week to week. You're seeing incremental improvement, actual tangible incremental improvement. And that is why like, I'm, I'm so happy to see this team growing up week to week. Now, I mean, we're, we're a pretty ugly team. There's no denying that, you know, we're not going to win any, you know, beauty pageants in terms of, you know, how well we play, you know, how, how stylistic it is. But, you know, if we can just go in there and play our brand of football and drag people into a rock fight, go do what you can do. Go win. You know, you might win a few games. It's the Big Ten West. You know, Big Ten West loves rock fights. Look at Iowa <laughs> Illinois the other night. Oh, my God. I mean, we'll that's get to that it. offensive we'll get to football it. back to, you know, I mean, I think Woodrow Wilson would have coached in a game like that when he was <laughs> coaching college football before becoming president. Yeah, who was it? Nick Heinrich, I think it was. Adam Character. Yeah, Adam Character interviewed Henrich. Yeah, and he said that, you know, things are more simplified. They have more uh, confidence in what they're doing. You know, go ahead and relay the rest of that. Well, no, I was going to say, when you said simplify, and again, it goes back to like what we were talking about with the offense, you know, simple and bland are synonymous, you know, here. You know, simplified defense doesn't mean it's simple to, you know, attack, you know, from the offensive standpoint, we're lining up, we're single gapping on the defensive front. We're lining up in cover three, you know, we're playing a lot of man under and, um, you know, then we're doing some pattern matching, but you're seeing guys, you know, their assignment has been simplified. They're being told where to align. You can tell that Bush is actually spending his time during practice instructing and in the film room, you know, putting together game plans. How are we going to defend this formation? You can tell that we're putting together what I harped on weeks ago an automatic front coverage AFC, because we're not getting beat pre-snap anymore. Yeah. We're you know, we're, we're taking away the cheap, easy stuff. We're contesting everything. We're eliminating space. And that's all that defense is eliminate space and get the ball carrier to the ground. You know, you don't need to overthink it. So, yeah, I'm I'm really encouraged. I never th- I did not think I'd be drinking Kool Aid on October 13th. <laughs> you know, back on September I don't know sixth. Now it's the weird been- the weird thing is is this uh, at the beginning of the season you looked at the wide receiver core and we had shit, just shit tons of wide receivers. Uh-huh. Now we got Garcia Castaneda has hit the transfer portal. Uh, Omar Manning's injured. Uh, I, I mean, we've lost, we're not as deep as we used to be. And now Tommy Hill's going to play both sides of the ball, which I kind of almost go, okay, the guy must be talented enough that they're not just going to throw him on the bench, but it's kind of a weird shift where the defensive backfield, I think at the beginning of the year, we thought, okay, they brought in a bunch of transfers. That's going to be the, the strength of a team, a guy comes out of nowhere that nobody counted on the guy they did count on that they said was going to be an NFL like corner has moved to receive. This is a, just a screwed up. It's, it's the, a it's the wonderful mess. Yeah. It's can, an can, amazing mess of a season. And I mean, if they can get anything out of it, it's going to be amazing. Now I'm curious where, like wh- where does John's favorite player Brody belt fit in to the wide receiver rotation? You know what? Wherever the fuck he wants. Cause that guy's a player. He's a player motherfucker. I was surprised you haven't started selling his Jersey on the coronation Cobby store. I, well, I should make up a there. belt something. Yeah. Does it, 
does this not feel like it has been the longest season and we're only halfway through? You know what? I'm fine with football season lasting a while because it goes by so fast. You know, I'm just still sitting here praying for a bowl game, a win against Iowa, bowl eligibility, and making a really good hire. I, I don't know if we want to get too far into the – because we, we've talked about it so much for the last month. I don't know if we want to get, you know, down the, the coaches search rabbit hole, but uh, one of the names uh, it, that has appeared on some lists is uh, finding himself without a job. Now, John would call him the little Ewok that could, uh, <laughs> but Matt rule Haas, uh, in, in your opinion, I, <laughs> I don't know. There's some something in in me says, and, and look, I get the college football and NFL football are, are two different things, and and you know certainly like Nick Saban is a is a example of that I'm not comparing Matt Rule to Nick Saban. I'm I'm not gonna do that, but it seems really odd to be considering bringing in a what I think most could call a failed NFL coach to head up you know, this, this team, this program that we all love so much. Yeah. I, if you're just going off that, he looks like an Ewok, like John, you know, sure. I'm, I'm not, sure. I don't I'm want not. a fucking Ewok for a coach. Okay. <laughs> Buy him a razor. It then, matters. Geez. That's fair enough. They That's didn't enough. take down the empire. They were just there on the planet where it happened. Do you, you even know? know the name of the planet, John? It's like indoor or something. Okay. You, you nice. get the point. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I think that NFL failure is not synonymous with college failure because, you know, at any rate, but especially because the dude won at Temple. He won at Baylor. Um, he's a good coach. He walked into a situation at Carolina where they never had the quarterback situation figured out. He was working with the GM who he didn't see eye to eye with in terms of personnel. And then, you know, their best player, Christian McCaffrey, was injured 90% of the time that, you know, he was coaching there. So I think he's a good football coach. Um, whether he looks like an Ewok or not, he's still a good football coach. Whether he fails <laughs> in the NFL or not, he still is. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a name to consider. I, yeah, I wait too deep down the rabbit hole of coaching search because, you know, like I said, I just want to talk, you know, the football games. But, yeah, he's still on the table as an option. You know what? You know what? The problem with the fucking guy is he can't communicate. Nobody can understand play calls that go, yeah, everybody got to learn that shit. I guess nobody could steal your signals. No, I mean, it'd be like the Navajo wind talkers, you know? Yeah. Well, he's got $40 million. He has $40 million. I don't think he coaches this year. He's going to get paid $834,000 a month to sit on the couch. I'm trying to figure out how many years I have to work to get that much. And he's getting all it of them. Month. You have to work all of them. <laughs> it's not well, Greg, just make sure, just make sure one of your three sons becomes a really top flight college or NFL football coach. Okay. Okay. I'll do, I'll do my best. Yeah. Um, oh, maybe I'll even part ways with my uh, copy of the assembly line. If it aids in, you know, the development <laughs> of a top flight coach, you know, you probably need wanna... to start them young. Maybe you should send that in the mail to me tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. One of the things I want to say about this coaching search is this. By the time we actually get a head coach, we are going to hate every one of them. 
We are going to be, we are going to go through all of their faults. In everybody's resume. Yeah, we are going to go through all of their faults because anybody who does anything at the level that a head coach does is going to make, make mistakes somewhere along the line. And those mistakes get exacerbated because they're all over social media talking about me not hitting a woolly mammoth with a spear and every other inadequacy everybody has. That by the time that we actually go, this is our coach, we're going to go, that guy failed here, 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 here. That sucks. It, yeah. Nobody it, would be happy. You know, which, it's like, which is un, un, I don't mean to cut you off, Hoss, but like that's the thing. Like Scott Frost was supposed to be the great uniter. You know, I mean, he's he's the but he uh, became the great divider. Oh, my God. It, and that's how it goes. Right. Oh, I mean, but, but I, I think when you look at as, as far as head coaches go, he was going to be the guy that, you know, like was that the entire fan base was going to rally around. And boy, it didn't take too long for the, that first uh, um, error in the armor, you know, no, and. Was- and Went four and eight, and then he went five and seven, and then it was like, "Wow, this guy is a fraud." You were supposed to bring balance to the force. <laughs> like it's like Nick Nolte, you know, in Blue Chips at the end, where he has that, you know, at the press conference where he just quits, but he's talking about, you know, how they paid players, and he's like, "I became what I despised." Yeah, Scott Frost became what he despised. You know, another failed head coach at Nebraska. Yeah. After he wrote that, was that that blog for the Lincoln Journal Star, John? You remember what I'm talking about? Oh, 2007. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I think I care too much, I think is how it started. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. We yeah. uh, Let's go on to f- the future. Yes, the we future. are. Future. And the future. We've got eight minutes and 54 seconds left to discuss Purdue and get our predictions in, boys predictions for Purdue. Uh, yeah, and John, you shared an article from the uh, Purdue rivals or 247 or, or whatever, you know, combination that looks like they're going to be without their top two running backs. Uh, Go still out. And he's day to day. They have, um, there, there are a lot of quality athletes that they had last year that are no longer wearing the black and whatever tan i don't know whatever purdue colors um so without i mean getting to the predictions yet what aside from like a a, a expansive overhaul on the offensive line like hoss what are some of the keys to uh, a husker victory on saturday um taking pressure off the offensive line with your play calling so Good passing game, quick passing game, you know, so you're throwing stuff based on pre-snap reads. That's just the snap, then boom, the ball's out. Um, the screen game, bubble screens, uh, hitch screens, getting the ball to the running backs on the perimeter, whether that's on a flare or a stretch play or even, you know, a little quick pitch out of the shotgun, even though we haven't ran that all year, that'd just be something that comes to mind. Um I think you have to probably start to look at working in Logan Smothers at times situationally, just because the dimension that he gives you with his legs. I also think you have to get um, Casey Thompson involved in running the ball. I think that that's going to have to be a crucial ingredient for success moving forward this season. You mentioned Logan Smothers and John felt like he just popped a blue chew 15 minutes ago. I saw that reaction. Hey, 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 you know how you take pressure off the offensive line? 
How's that, John? You get Oshawn Maffitt to earn his fucking nil money this game. Yeah. Get, yeah, get after dollars. they. You, you get after their asses and you get Aiden Connell to throw some interceptions to Malcolm Hertzog, Hartzog, and he returns him to the 20 and you only have to go 20 yards to score. That's, like that's how we're going to do this. I was also going to say um, that defensively, we really got to cover Payne Durham and Charlie Jones. Yeah. Charlie, it says from this article that Charlie Jones is not a hundred percent. He's kind of beaten, banged up and his production has been going down. But Durham is is a big target tight end, and I feel like that's just a, a mismatch for damn near anybody we got defensively. Yeah, like, if we had JoJo Doman, still be perfect for him. Who I mean, Rymers is more of a. I I just don't know if if there's a a backer if there's an answer for for that that type of you know Reimers offensive is weapon. Yeah, Rymers has a Bruce Sternum, I think. Yeah, he can play through that, I, I mean, right? I'm just guessing it's a Bruce Sternum from that hit against Rutgers. Uh, but I think he'll play. We we didn't talk about it. We need to briefly. Speaking about uh, hits in Rutgers, when Anthony Grant lowered that shoulder along the sideline, yes, I thought, I, I well, it looked like the defender thought that Grant was just going to step out of bounds, mm-hmm. you know, and so he eased up, and then Grant just like, Okay. <laughs> Did you see when the defender's laying on the ground there, he goes to get up and you can tell for a split second, he wants to get up in Grant's face, you know, and then he just lays back down. And he's just like, nah, like he's like, <laughs> <he's> like nah. <laughs> no, uh, Anthony Grant. You got no one to hold him. You got no one to fold him. One of the things I love about Anthony Grant is when he wakes up on game day, he chooses violence, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Choose violence. Yeah. Solve, solve your problems with aggression. Right. There's one place you can do it, and that's the football field. I guess hockey rink, too. Um, but back I mean, to you Purdue. Can, you can do it anywhere if you really just don't care. But, you know, and we live in a society of laws. You yeah. know, so We live football in a highly litigious, uh, you know, society. Uh, back to Purdue. Um, look, this is I, – I don't know. I feel like Nebraska's got some momentum uh, going their direction – but this is going to be, you know, no disrespect to Indiana or or Rutgers, but this is going to be a step up in competition. And Haas, I know you've pointed out in the past that, boy, Jeff Brom cer- certainly has Nebraska's number. He coaches circles around. He's coached circles around Scott Frost and Eric Janander. The only win that Frost had against Brom was in 2020, the COVID year, and a lot of that was because we scored. I believe we scored on a one-yard touchdown to start the game because we blocked a punt on Purdue's first drive. And then we got another short field off a turnover. So we just kind of – we created, you know. What, wasn't that the – Points there. Rondell Moore sat out that season, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, but they that, still that had a, David Bell. True, true. And they had Bryson Hopkins, the tight end, who now I believe is with the Colts, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Um but that's the only time that Frost beat Brom. Other than that, 2018, 2019, 2021, um, the game plans that Brom had against Nebraska were just – they were exploitive. We got – we'd get exploited in those games. Okay, well, I think we've seen that the, the last defensive coordinator we had was – honestly, a bucket of shit. The guy fucking sucked. He was yeah. terrible. 
And within two weeks, another guy stepped in, took over his job, and made it 100,000 times better than it was. He didn't know how to have his defense aligned to basic formations. At that point, that's coaching malpractice. I agree. God. Okay, earlier you said, and I agreed with you, earlier in this season, Haas, you said that Purdue would wipe the floor with this. Do you still think that's true? No. If this was still a Scott Frost coach team, I think that Purdue would probably go for 40 or 50 on us. But now just with this change that we've seen, and even though we are not really all that good in any phase of the game, but we're getting better, we're trending in the right direction, um, I think we'll be right there with them. I really do. And, you know, even though we're – was it the last time we had a win as a double-digit underdog was the 2005 Alamo Bowl against Michigan (laughs) – so 17 years ago, old Haas here was a freshman in high school. Um, I watched that game in Nebraska with my girlfriend at the time and her family. That's, that's taking me back. My God, we're all old. I mean, John, I mean, he was probably off on a big game hunt with Colonel Patterson in <laughs> Africa you know, at that point. All right, Haas, uh, what is your prediction? I'm going to go with Nebraska gets the quarterback run game involved a little bit. And defense comes up with three turnovers, Nebraska 32, Purdue 28. John. I did a video for this earlier, and I I, – I'll simplify it. I predicted Nebraska wins 45 to 42 because of a Trey Palmer return for a touchdown on a punt. I don't know about anything that specific. I do think that if you're betting, you take the over. Uh, I think – 63 and a half. Yeah. Total 63 and a half. I think uh, you're looking at, uh, I'm going to say Nebraska 38, Purdue. I think it could be Purdue 35. I think it could be that type of game. Uh, regardless, uh, we we all are going to be watching, and uh, uh, we'll all be you – know, make sure you're keeping an eye out on YouTube for John's post-game reaction. We'll be back next week, uh, hopefully back live. Hopefully Restream gets their shit together uh, because we miss you all. We love you all, and we will see you next time on the Five Heart Podcast, where we remind you each and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. John? Go Big Red! Win the damn game.